Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, December 23rd, 2019. This is Rick Morton, Lifeline's Vice President of Engagement, and I want to welcome you to the Defender Bible Study Podcast. Today we have a a neat treat uh, as a special edition of the Bible Study Podcast. We're going to be hearing from Herbie. Um, We had the opportunity to participate this past October in the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, or the ERLC, um, of the Southern Baptist Convention in their conference, Caring Well. Um, talking about caring for those who have been abused um, in the church. Specifically, Herbie was able to address the crowd and speak on the topic of restoration and the cycle of abuse. And so join me now as we listen to um, Herbie's remarks from that conference from the main stage. It's such a privilege to be here with you this morning. It's such an important conference. And first and foremost, uh, I want to introduce myself. I am Herbie Newell, and I have the honor of leading an organization called Lifeline Children's Services. And we are an orphan care and foster care and adoption ministry. And I believe one of the reasons that we were asked to present at such an important conference as this is because each and every day, we are working with those who have been abused. We have been working with those who have been broken. We see the systemic effects of abuse on the world's most vulnerable. And, and brothers and sisters, I, I think as, as we talk this morning, even about this cycle of abuse and the restoration for the most vulnerable around us, We must address this issue within our churches because our churches must once again be a safe haven where those that have been abused, neglected, and beaten by the world can come find the restoration that is only found in Christ Jesus. But until we stop abusing our own and taking advantage of our own, we will never be the safe haven that God has called us to be for the most vulnerable around us. And so the goal of the organization that I lead is to help families, is to help children, is to help young people see that wholeness can be found in the gospel of Christ Jesus. And so brothers and sisters, I want you to know that even as we've talked about this issue, this is not just an issue of those that have been abused within our churches, but this is an issue that we must take serious about those that are abusing others. We must begin to preach the gospel. Caring well is not just about wrapping around those who are hurting. It's also about wrapping around our brothers with strong biblical accountability. You see, caring well is actively discipling young men to stop wasting their time with entertainment and to stop killing their soul with pornography. If the statistics are true, that three out of every four men has actively engaged in pornography, then brothers, the majority of the men in our churches, they're fueling a culture of abuse. They're fueling a culture of rape and they are sponsoring with their time and with their money, abuse of the most vulnerable. And this has got to stop. So we have got to stop cowering back to sin and step up and begin leading our families again. If this pervasive sin, this objectifying women, that's being unloving towards the image-bearing wives that are in our homes, and it's seeing the vulnerable be abused around the world, if this cycle of abuse is ever going to stop, then we've got to step up and we have to lead. 
And I've seen these results firsthand as I've led the ministry of Lifeline. Because Lifeline has taken me face to face with the world's most vulnerable, with children who have been abused and neglected, and with women who need boundless hope. I remember the call came in. It was my first year of ministry in Lifeline. It was one of those calls that takes your breath away. At first, our receptionist thought it was a prank call because the call came in quickly and desperately from a hotel room in South Alabama. A young lady who I'll call this morning, Betty, told us that she was being held in this hotel room against her will as ruthless men were coming and doing unspeakable things to her. She'd been captured by a group of men. She'd been held by the, as their prisoner and the owner of the hotel was a part of the scheme. And brothers and sisters, now seeing and knowing that hotel, this was not the Moonwinks Lodge that no one goes to. This was a reputable hotel in this city. And they were holding her there against her will. She called our ministry because we had helped her years before. And she knew her body and she knew that one of these men had impregnated her. And she wanted to escape because she was fearing that they may kill the baby inside of her. The hotel room was being used as a revolving door so that men could come and for a price, abuse Betty, take advantage of her and steal her dignity over and over and over again. Oh, immediately I went into action. I thought I'd been called to be the president of an orphan care ministry and all of a sudden I felt like a CIA operative or an FBI agent, except this was not the case that I had wanted. And this was my first real exposure to what human trafficking looks like. The adrenaline began pumping in my veins as we began to help Betty. She told us and begged us not to call the police because she herself had gotten to the phone and called 911 only to have her captives drug her so that when the police got there, they thought she was a drug abuser and she was locked up for a week only to see the abuse intensify, only to see her captives continue to, to extend their abuse towards her. Betty, when we met her, she was a brilliant young woman. She had joined the military after high school and in order to attain a college degree and to get a good job. Once retired from the military, she had returned to Alabama. She found a decent job, but she got involved with the wrong crowd. And even amidst the trauma, Betty had the presence of mind to chart the patterns of her captives and was able to give us specifics on the times when they left and when she thought she would be alone. So she told us that the man who was in charge of her, that his code name was, was Red. And so we, we, haunt, we, we, we had this rescue operation plan that we then hatched. Betty told us the times that, that she was likely alone. So we purchased a ticket for 12.30 a.m. that we were gonna rescue her in a cab. We were gonna get her to the bus station and Lord willing, if everything went right, she would end up at 5.30 a.m. in Birmingham, Alabama. The only thing left to do was to call and let Betty know what the plan was. I remember I, I called the hotel, I asked for room 107 and, and the best shady voice that I had, I asked for the room. I was surprised when Betty's shaky voice answered the phone and she said she was alone and I told her the plan. I told her what we were gonna do. My heart was beating fast and, and then right as I gave her the last moments, I heard someone come in and I knew instantly it was the voice of Red. Red got on the phone with me. He was angry. He wanted to know what I need. And again, I, I used my best shady voice and, and I told him, oh, I, I just wanted to know how to, how to get your services. He gave me a better number to call. He said not to call that number again. I up, hung up the phone and I felt absolutely dirty and shameful. Well, fast forward the story by God's divine grace. Betty was able to walk out of the hotel room unnoticed. 
She was able to get into the cab, make it to the bus station. And I remember the call at 5.30 a.m. when they said, Betty is here. And beloved, when I saw her, she was a broken woman without dignity. She was bruised, she was scarred, but she was filled with hope. The humility by which she received our care over the next several hours did nothing more than to confirm that this was a very broken woman who needed rescue. And it was such an honor that the Lord allowed us to step into Betty's story. So long story short, we were able to get Betty into the safety of our maternity housing ministry. She gave birth to a healthy baby girl who she placed for adoption with a Christian family. She had a job, she had her dignity restored, but more important, Betty's life was changed from victim to victor when she came face to face with the reality of the gospel and she began to follow Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. You see, beloved, our God does infinitely more than we could ever imagine when we are willing to step into the brokenness of this world with the light and the love of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The truth of the matter is, we need to reckon with that gospel. We need to reckon with the sin in our own lives so that we can begin to take those steps of restoration. We must address and defeat the culture of abuse that is happening to women and children within our churches so that our churches can once again become a safe haven for the vulnerable, the hurting, the broken who need the light and the hope of the gospel of King Jesus. I love what Dr. Martin Luther King said in his letter to the Birmingham jail, my city. He says this, there was a time when the church was very powerful and the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed society. Small in number, they were big in commitment. They were too God intoxicated to be intimidated. By their effort and example, they brought an end to such ancient evils as infanticide and gladiator games. Oh, but things are different now. And if today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. Every day I meet young people whose disappointment with the church has turned into outright disgust. Beloved Dr. Martin Luther King, when he penned this letters in the 60s was a prophet. And unfortunately we are looking face to face at those churches where we're eating our own, where we're, we're abusing our own instead of being a safe haven for the gospel of Christ Jesus to those who have been hurt and abused by this world. There's a problem when we cannot tell the difference between those who have been abused in the church and those who have been abused by the world. We must stand up and we must be different. Women, like Betty, she needed our churches. She needed the church to be a safe haven where she could hear the beautiful words of the gospel which can make even the vilest of sinners whole and can make a victim whole as well. Those who are broken, they live in a cycle of abuse, hurt and shame. They return to their abusers because they don't know where else to turn. And the broken many times will abuse and neglect because it's the only pattern that they know. It reminds me of a scene that we see in John chapter eight. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law had caught a woman committing adultery and they brought her out. This text suggests that they were doing this to trap Jesus and to test him. Essentially, they were looking in the most seedy places of society in order to condemn the sinner and to try to condemn Jesus. So they bring this woman before Jesus in John chapter eight, verses four through five, they say to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, it commanded us to stone such a woman. 
So what do you say? Jesus is confronted with two types of prostitution in John chapter eight. The first that we sometimes missed, he is being confronted with spiritual prostitution and he's also being confronted with physical prostitution. And notice the way that Jesus addresses both. He addresses them with kind and loving rebuke. Jesus doesn't go off on the Pharisees who've persecuted themselves, who've prostituted themselves to the law above the grace of God. Instead, he asked them not to throw stones unless they are without sin. But then Jesus begins to get in the sand and he he draws in the sand. And what he draws is not reported. And many have, have speculated and postulated that he was writing the sins of those standing around him. Others believe he was writing a love note to this lady. Well, we don't know what he was writing, but what we do know is his posture. He lowered himself to the level of the woman who had been caught, who had been abused. As I travel the world, I'm consistently put eye to eye and face to face with the world's most vulnerable. I've been in slums amongst human slaves. I've been face to face with household servants. I've played and worked among street children. I've visited orphanage, orphans with debilitating disease and sickness. And even in my own home, I've fostered children so that they could have a refuge. And beloved, in every situation, the posture of the most vulnerable is bowed down and low to the ground. John 8, 8 says this, and once more, he, Jesus, bent down and he wrote on the ground. Beloved, we know that this woman dragged from another man's bedroom is in a humiliated state. One is certainly led to believe that that she is not standing, but she is hunched over in shame in the dirt. I truly believe that Jesus bent down to identify with this woman, to enter into her world and to show her mercy. And so this discourse ends with Jesus restoring this woman. She stands and then he stands as well. And John chapter eight, verse 10 tells us, he looks at her and he says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? The woman then reports the obvious that that they've all gone away, that they've dropped their stones and they've gone away. Then Jesus looks her in the eye with dignity, with mercy and with love. We have to believe that his words to her restored her life and gave hope to her soul. Jesus says to her as recorded in verse 11, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. Beloved, The question before us at this conference is, will we care well with the gospel of restoration or will we turn a blind eye of apathy and hide behind our false veils of religious superiority? Will we be able to to step out? Sin begets sin and vulnerability begets more vulnerability. And we must be fierce defenders of life in the way that we reach out to the most vulnerable because only the gospel of Jesus Christ and the presence of God's family can help the vulnerable escape the cycle of abuse, of hurt, of entrapment and find true hope in the arms of Christ Jesus. And so beloved, I I hope we don't miss it. We have to. It's imperative that we clean up the abuse in our churches and in our families and in our societies. We've got to stop entertaining ourselves to death. We've got to stop throwing stones at everyone else's sin and start looking in the mirror of our own sin. Why? Because we have been called to a radical mission to take the gospel of this kingdom to the most vulnerable, to the most marginalized and to the hurting. And Satan is prowling around like a lion to divide us, to take us out and to make us irrelevant. 
but we have the most powerful message, a message of redemption, a message of respect, a message of love, and a message that can truly restore the vulnerable. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. May the vulnerable amongst us find rest only in the arms of Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Herbie. We are uh, incredibly grateful the way that God has uh, allowed us at Lifeline to partner with the ERLC and thankful for the opportunity that he had to pour into uh, the group at the Caring Well Conference back in October. And uh, we, are, we are blessed by our association with their ministry. We want to turn our attention now to, to pray this week. Our emphasis for prayer this week is on birth parents and domestic adoption. And so we want to pray, first of all, for birth mothers and birth fathers who many times are, are grieving during this Christmas season. We want to pray that, that they would find their hope and their sufficiency in Christ during what can be a tough time of the year, um, and that, that they would have godly support from family and friends. We also want to pray looking forward that God would send more expectant moms our way in 2020 than in any year past. Um, we pray that the women that we come to, to be able to serve will, will come to a, a knowledge of the Lord and His redeeming love for them, that God will open their eyes, that they can see um, that their children are made in the image of God and valued by Him. Um, and and that they that God will lead women to choose life for their babies as they consider adoption. We also want to pray for our uh, domestic adoptive families that are that are waiting today. Um, we want to pray that they would have peace during this Christmas season as they wait, and that they would find their hope and their identity in Jesus. And that even on the hard days, that that they would find this a time uh, that helps them to trust in Christ more. We, we pray for f adoptive families that have an open adoption that this season would be an opportunity for them to uh, serve missionally in the lives of their child's birth family. And we want to pray for our team. We're thankful for those that we have that serve, our, our pregnancy counselors and our domestic specialists. And in the midst of a very busy season, we want to pray that the Lord will continue to provide for them and, and that God will encourage them in the season. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you, um, God, for all of your blessings. God, we thank you for this season where we can stop and commemorate what you did, um, Jesus, in stepping out of heaven and stepping into this world world and Lord living a life that we never could have lived. Um, God, for giving what we were unprepared to give and Jesus for showing your power and your authority over this world by rising from the dead. And we know that that began with the incarnation and with your birth. God, we want to pray today for birth mothers and birth fathers that, that during this Christmas season, they would, uh, they would come to know you, that they would find you, that you would be their sufficiency. We want to pray for expectant moms in 2020 to, to reach out and a call. And, and God, we pray for for the privilege to be able to counsel with them and to be part of a life-giving decision on their behalf. And God, we pray for our domestic adoptive families. And Lord, pray that you would encourage them in this season, that God, you would minister through them to birth families. And God, we pray um, that you would continue to strengthen our team and continue to encourage them in the midst of the vital work that they do. And so, Lord, we are thankful for Jesus, and it is in his name that we pray. Amen. 
Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.